Thank you, Tim. Well, good morning. And uh, it's a very good morning if you come from north of the border and uh, are celebrating uh, the, uh, the victory against the old enemy. I felt that uh, this morning was perhaps time to um, reclaim my Scottish ancestry. <laughs> Hence, I'm wearing the Buchanan clan tartan, which um, I'm entitled to wear, but I decided that wearing the tie was possibly a bit excessive because it's ex very, very garish. Enough of that. So this morning's topic is uh, trusting the Bible, um, a small subject to deal with in 15 minutes or so. And uh, our passage is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I'll read it for us now. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, please open our hearts to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first statement in our passage uh, is that all scripture is God-breathed. And that begs the question as to how we can know this and whether the contents of the Bible can be relied upon. To begin to answer those questions, let's start by considering what the Bible actually is. So the Bible as we know it today is a collection of 66 books which are divided into two sections. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. It was written over a period of about 1,600 years by more than 40 authors who came from very diverse backgrounds. Year in, year out, it is the best-selling book in the world. And it is estimated that around one and a quarter Bibles and a quarter million Bibles and tracts and or testaments are sold in the UK alone each year. Paul describes the scriptures as God-breathed, which can also be translated as inspired by God. In other words, Paul is saying that scripture is God speaking. But of course, he used human agents. It's 100% the work of God and 100% the work of human, um, sorry, it's 100% inspired by God, but also 100% the work of human beings. And you may well ask who decided which books should be included in the Bible as the authoritative word of God? And why should we accept that decision? Well, a collective term for the authorized scriptures is the canon which means a limited and defined group of writings which are accepted as authoritative within the Christian church. The New Testament canon was approved by the church council, the Synod of Hippo, in AD 393. But rather than being a random decision by a random bunch of people, as one scholar comments, the recognition of the books of the New Testament as scriptural was overwhelmingly a natural process not a matter of ecclesiastical regulation. The core of the New Testament was accepted so early that subsequent rulings do no more than recognize the obvious. In the case of the Old Testament, evidence points to an established canon before 150 BC. And it is, of course, these scriptures in the main that Paul is referring to in his letter to Timothy. And these are the scriptures that Jesus refers to in the gospel accounts. In John 5.39, Jesus says, These are the scriptures that testify about me. 
and he constantly addressed the Jewish people as if they had the scriptures. So I think it's very clear that Jesus regarded the Old Testament as authentic, and he should know. We haven't really got time to consider the Old Testament further here, except to say that some scholars believe that it contains more than 300 prophecies about Jesus, some of which are very, very specific. To take just three, firstly, it was prophesied that his would be a virgin birth. Secondly, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. Thirdly, it was prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced. In effect, the manner of his death by crucifixion was prophesied long before that method of execution was invented by the Romans. St. Augustine is quoted as saying, the old is in the new revealed, the new is in the old concealed. Taken with Jesus' assertion that the Old Testament provides testimony about him, I think we can conclude that the whole of the Old Testament narrative points to the most important event in history, the implementation of God's salvation plan through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. History is, in fact, his story. At its heart, Christianity claims that something extraordinary happened in the course of time, something concrete, real, and historical. The New Testament declares that Jesus was born to a virgin, claimed to be God, did miracles like walking on water and raising people from the dead, was crucified on a Roman cross, then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to reign as king of the universe. The four Gospels give an account of Jesus' life and ministry. So a vital question to ask is, are these documents truly reliable, historically speaking? Now, it may come as a shock to some that the manuscript tradition of the New Testament stands up to rigorous scrutiny. I'm constantly amazed at the prevalent view among many of my friends and acquaintances that the Gospels are largely mythological and with very little historical reality. Digging a little deeper, I usually find that many people have never actually read a Gospel account. So I always encourage them to read the Gospel of Luke and then Acts of the Apostles. And reading these and examining them in detail was a very important step in my own journey of faith. As with other ancient books, the physical pieces of paper on which the original authors first wrote the New Testament have been lost. But we have over 5,000 original language copies, many going back to the first three centuries. By contrast, Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, we have at most 10 readable copies, the earliest of which dates about 900 years after Caesar's time. And comparing ancient copies of the New Testament content with each other reveals a remarkably stable history of copy making. The Bible and the New Testament in particular has been subjected to a vast amount of scrutiny over several hundred years. And most biblical scholars would accept that the New Testament that we now have is, to all intents and purposes, the same as when the texts that make up its content were originally written. That's all very well, you might say, but can we determine whether the authors were reliable witnesses? Well, for a start, we have multiple authors writing about the life of Jesus, including Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul. And these sources are all very early. Most scholars date the Gospels to the 60s, 70s, and 80s AD, 
although some argue that Mark's gospel was written within a decade of Jesus. Another very early witness, Paul, the author of our passage today, who wrote his letters between AD 48 and AD 65, which is well within the lifetimes of the eyewitnesses. Why is this important? Well, I think it's fairly universally accepted now that the gospel writers were trying to write history. Both John and Matthew were apostles who were with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And Mark is generally accepted as a companion of the apostle Peter. Luke accompanied Paul on his various journeys and is generally regarded as a first-rate historian. The introduction to his gospel sets out his purpose. I'll read it now. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me also to write an orderly account for you, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I think it's therefore fair to say that the Bible is a reliable historical record of what these authors believed happened. But did those things really happen? After all, the Bible is filled with stories of miracles that invite us natural skepticism. These appear essential to the Bible's message and their eyewitness accounts come across far more plausibly as events that actually took place than miracles found in ancient myths and legends. One miracle lies at the heart of the Bible, and it is central to the whole of history, namely the resurrection of Jesus. If the biblical writers were genuinely mistaken about that, it's unlikely they were right about much else. If Jesus is still dead, then he's not the Christ the Bible speaks of and that he claimed to be. Much historical analysis has been undertaken about what happened at Jesus' tomb, and many theories abound. We don't have time to go into these here, but I think it's fair to say that the main theories, that Jesus nearly died, or that it was a hoax, deception, or mass hallucination involving his followers, don't hold water. His followers' insistence that they had found his tomb empty and saw the risen Jesus a belief they held on to even at the cost of their lives is explained by only one possibility. Jesus was bodily, historically resurrected from the dead. Because of the resurrection, Jesus, the Christians believe what Jesus said. And since Jesus himself endorsed the entire Old Testament and, in effect, authorized the entire New Testament, Christians believe that the Bible is reliable and true. St. John said of his New Testament writings, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I hope that this whistle-stop tour will have given you enough to see that there are very good reasons for trusting the Bible and accepting that it is inspired by God if you want to delve a little deeper into the subject, I can thoroughly recommend a book called Why Trust the Bible by Amy Yor Ewing, who's a, the daughter of a previous rector of, of this church. Uh, and for a detailed examination of the resurrection, I recommend a superb book, which was first published in 1930 
by Frank Morrison, and it's called Who Moved the Stone? Absolutely brilliant. And I haven't even mentioned the external references to historic events contained in the Bible or the many instances where the archaeological record endorses the biblical text. That's another whole subject for study. If we accept that the Bible is the word of God, what are we to make of it? As St. Paul says in our passage, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, it's a com comprehensive instruction manual for how we should live our lives. It's perhaps ironic that so much of the instruction manual that we look to today was written by Paul himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Bible offers guidance on pretty much every area of life, and we should reference any decision we make or action we take against that guidance. The Bible is the main way that God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. The author of the letter to Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's certainly been my experience on many occasions that a word or a verse leaps off the page when I'm reading the Bible, sometimes to bring conviction of sin, sometimes to bring, it brings confirmation of a course of action, and often to bring reassurance and encouragement. The Bible has been described as God's love letter to mankind, and in its pages we learn about the grand sweep of God's salvation plan culminating in Jesus' death on the cross out of love for you and for me. In the face of such love, it is surely incumbent on us to take his word seriously and devote time to reading and studying it. There are many ways we can do this. One that I found incredibly helpful is the Bible in One Year app from the Alpha Organization. This provides a passage from the Psalms or Proverbs and one from each of the Old and New Testaments together with a brief commentary and prayers. My best friend Chris and I committed ourselves about 10 years ago to reading through the Bible each year using this app. And I had an email from him only last month saying, it always amazes me that the Bible in one year is so relevant to what is going on at the time. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your word is living and active. Please help us to trust the Bible and inspire us by your Holy Spirit to grow in love for your word and to respond in obedience as you speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen.